Immature poets imitate. Mature poets steal. Bad poets deface what they make, and good poets make it into something better, or at least something different. T.S. Eliot. Hello, and welcome to the Ducks Never Waver Lunch Break, where you get food for thought and can rejuvenate to sally forth. He's Edwin the brother. She's Megan the sister. And today we are talking about Andrew Wyeth. So where do we begin with Andrew Wyeth? I think the easy part is uh, just our experience, how we were introduced to Andrew Wyeth and why we appreciate his his art and why we are even talking about art on this podcast. So many questions. So excited. I'm pumped for this one because even though I don't know as much as an art historian should or would about uh, Andrew Wyeth, the, the, the connection to Pennsylvania, especially the east side of the state, um, growing up, we got to view places like what Andrew Wyeth painted. Of course, we went to the art museum. There's an Andrew Wyeth show there. So Andrew Wyeth takes us back to our roots, and we hope that by sharing a little bit about him, you can also get excited about his artwork and maybe enjoy it for yourself. Yeah, and I think that's the the wonderful thing about Wyeth is that it's, it's not just... It's not that it just takes us back because we do have this connection to to the place that he was painting a lot. But his art, I, I think, brings that feeling for most people. It brings that memory and that connection and that dreamlike state. And we'll we can we'll, we'll dive more into that. But I, I think there is such a he's so connected in his art that it transfers to us. So even even if you're not if you didn't grow up in the Philadelphia area. Yeah, or you, even you're, on the eastern seaboard. Yeah, I think you're going to have this connection where it's like, I've been there before. I've, I've seen that before. It's nostalgic without being sentimental. Yeah, yeah. It's the it's the good part of nostalgia. Yeah. We uh, oftentimes... Well, what's the bad part of nostalgia? That you just get, get caught in that and you're just living in the past. Right. And that you're just cycling that. But the good part of nostalgia is that you can enjoy parts of life and even reflect back on the good parts and not just the good parts but also the the bad parts because there's a lot of why that's pretty dark really so like not like goth dark but it had deals with death yeah yeah i think one quote from William Faulkner is going to be really helpful in viewing Wyeth. Faulkner said, the past isn't dead. It isn't even past. And Andrew Wyeth's paintings are the visual of that. It's that it's it's new, it's fresh, but everything is rooted in this history. Everything has, has a past. And you look at it not like not through rose-colored glasses. It's not mm-hmm. oh the past was better. That's not what the point is. But the point is is that every moment, like every time we step forward, is because of of some we've come from someplace else. And 
another thing that is so exciting about Wyeth is how steeped in art history he is. And I think that's part of his greatness Yeah, is that he, and this is the quote that I read, he is one of these artists who was able to take so many influences and he really studied, he really looked at the great artists and was able to bring that history in through his, his art. Yeah. And he made it his own. He made it new. Yeah. He was definitely somebody who was willing to stand upon the shoulders of giants and see a little bit further. Go exactly. A little bit exactly. And it's something to, to remember is that we can see so far because we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, like you said, we're just throwing this out here. We are just passionate about art and we are just passionate about Andrew Wyeth. We're not art historians. Yet. Yet, I know. Just you wait. By the time we're 70, we will be art historians. We'll be just as precocious and obnoxious as other art historians. Exactly. So this is just... We, we might be just as a precocious and obnoxious right now. So we're, we're almost... We're, we're, we're trying. We're halfway there. We're trying. We're, we're getting we there. The, we have the personality, just <laughs> not the knowledge. Uh, but we're... Hopefully, this is if you if you already are familiar with Andrew Wyeth, you're like, yeah, my homies, you know, this is like, you know, we're just excited to talk about, it. and you're like, I like this dude, and we like him too, and that's camaraderie. Or if you never heard of him, you're like, oh, I I should check this out. I should, you know, and so hopefully, we can spark something for you. Oh yeah, I, I think if, if there is an artist a modern artist who's approachable, it would be Wyeth. Yeah. Because, because his art is still quasi-representational. Yes. But I think it's, it's important to remember with that is that the realism in his paintings was not his goal. No. That and, he... I mean, I don't think that realism or representational work distracts like there is especially what he was dealing with and we're going to probably get into this some more but you have to realize he's Pablo Picasso is a contemporary of his so they're painting at the same time so you have Picasso with a really strong abstractionism and then Wyatt who on the surface is very representational now one thing to really remember all the time is every time you paint no matter what you paint it is abstract. It is abstracted from the real world. That's what it means. It, you're taking from something and abstracting shapes and colors and putting it into a different medium. So there is not a single painter who has ever lived who is not abstract. Yeah. And, you know, even so, and, and you can see we, we've actually, I was able to find a bunch of books uh, or catalogs of, of Wyeth's work at a used bookstore. It was very exciting times. It was like treasure. I think I found four, four art books, which is a great way for... What a haul. I know. It was such a haul. Oh, my goodness. That's, I mean, go to, go to a college town and go to a used bookstore. You will find amazing art books. Uh, but we were able to find um, one more of his sketches or his quick watercolors and you get to see how he develops themes and you can even see in his larger finished works the same hill coming back or the same farm or the same people 
so is that abstraction where he he puts the same hill in a number of situations and number of spaces. Mm-hmm. So it's not literally what he's seeing in front of him, but he's composing this this yeah this painting this that, story this really. story yeah it is storytelling and I think I think maybe that's what makes him more approachable is that it is very much storytelling yeah but it can be hard to unravel I I would say I would liken him to a short story maybe like Flannery O'Connor where on the surface is very simple and you're like oh this is the characters and these are the people and this is you know what happens mm-hmm. but then there's so many layers and there's all these symbols and these abstract ideas and as you dig through it so it's like very contained and very short but you can go through all these layers and circles and spirals and get lost in it. Yeah. And I think people would object and say, wait, well, he couldn't possibly be thinking about all those things while he's painting. I was like, one, he could be thinking about some of them. And two, it doesn't even matter because it showed up, right? It's like when a, a novelist writes a whole story and all of a sudden you're like, wait, there's an overarching redemption figure it's, that's like Christ. Like they couldn't possibly have thought of that while they're while they're doing it, having all of these redemption themes and so on. I was like, well, one they could have, and two, sometimes there's deeper patterns than we can even recognize consciously. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what the joy of of Wyatt's painting is, is because he's so good at looking. He's just there's that depth there. Yeah, and he's so good at looking at the natural world. But like I, I mentioned earlier, he's so good at looking at paintings and other people's works. And what he learned from that is there is a certain code that you have in paintings, that especially when you're looking at um, like earlier paintings, like, you know, like Dutch masters, even earlier than that. There's a lot of these symbols. Like, I mean, you look at the old still lives, right? They would have the the skull that's death and then you have the i don't know like apples that's like f- you know fruitfulness and but also they had... apples typically remind you of eden yeah so there's the fall so there's all this there's like a, a, a code i i think of actually um is it is yon stain right yeah. where he is making all these visual references to either um to sayings or just this code, like this, this, these symbols of this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. And what's fun about his is that he's always in the corner of kind of with a n- wink and a nod. He's like, yeah, this is what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's always some kind of rude joke in, in Jan Stein's <laughs> paintings. It's somewhere's in there. But I mean, that's the j- Dutch. There's, you just have rude, to, you just have to put that in there somewheres. Yeah. Why not? Uh, so, so who is Andrew Wyeth? Well, he's he's a painter from from 1917 to 2009. Is his lifespan? Is his lifespan? Yep. yep. And he had uh, his first showing at 20 years old. We mentioned that he comes from a family of artists. All of them were quite accomplished. Especially his father, N.C. Wyeth, was a very famous painter and illustrator. For what what books were they that he mostly did? Was well, it he did um. A lot of Kipling books, I believe. A Kipling and uh, Pyle, so right? He, yeah, and Pyle. He did. He did Robin Hood, and he was very famous for doing Robin yeah. Hood. Yeah, they're gorgeous. You own them, right? I own some. You own yeah. some of the yes. the books that with his illustrations. In yeah, it. They're, they're fantastic. N.C. Wyeth paints very boldly. Lots mm-hmm. of rich color, 
in uh, Wales. Yes, and that very much influenced Andrew Wyeth. Mm-hmm. That again, getting back to the storytelling, mm-hmm. because N.C. Wyeth really had to—you have to pack a whole lot into your illustration, right? Mm-hmm. Because you show up only a couple pages, and exactly. you have to really condense what is the true emotion, what is the true story. Like, how do you pack in the entire story of what people are reading into a visual? Yes. So I, I think that was a huge influence on on Andrew Wyeth.、Mm-hmm. Even though Andrew Wyeth does not use the same. Color palette at all, right? Right, or even the same medium. Yeah.、Uh, at twenty、um, years old, he had his first show, and he got started with watercolors. That he got got praised for that. He first was in a show with the rest of his family. Actually, I think it was his sister who was more promising at at the time.、Mm-hmm. But he had a show with his father and sister, and I, I forget who else.、Um, And then he, but he was the standout, and so they gave him his own show the year later. Okay. They're like, oh, who is this kid? Let's let's see what he's got. Right. Because he didn't, at a certain age, he stopped going to school, right? Just to solely focus on painting. Yeah, yeah, pretty young. That's. But his his father had a whole studio, like he was training other people and had、yes. other people working under him. And but he worked so hard. Like you, you study Andrew Wythe. I remember as a kid, we were able to go. To the Brandywine Museum, which is in Chadsford, where、um, Wyeth did a lot of his painting. Kerner's Farm is really close to there. Yes, a lot of his subject matter is of Kerner's Farm. So Wyeth divided his time between、uh, Chadsford, Pennsylvania, and Port Clyde, Maine. So you see, you see those influences in, in both.、Mm-hmm. But as we were going through the the museum, they did a really nice job laying out. You know how he got started and like his childhood and whatever, and bringing him up. And it's like the whole family of Wyeth is represented at、yes. that museum, which is really cool to see. But just the work ethic, like just how it was, do it over and over and over again. Do your do your shapes again、yes. and again and again. And you you have to do it faster, and you have to be able to lay it down, and just the work ethic. Well, if you're gonna be that good, you have to work.、Hard. And technically. He is so sharp, so good. Like, you know, he's had some criticism in the past, but I don't think anyone can really say he's a bad painter. Like, technically, it's all there, and you can—it's so effortlessly done. It's, it's. So you you mean just just the sheer just te- the te- technique, like just、yeah. like pure like the the I don't know the analytical side of of drawing or whatever you、mm-hmm. want to say, like the more. Yeah, technical side. I mean, but he, he also, I, and that's not to diss that he completely brings the emotion. Yes. But, yeah, his his technique is is flawless. Also, I, just some of the media he uses is really difficult to be technically proficient at. Watercolor is very fussy, but then even more so is tempura, right?、Yeah. Which is Tem- tempura. Tempura, not tempura. <laughs> no, that, that's crispy fried shrimp. You're、right、making、there. me hungry now. Okay. <laughs> tempura. Well, it does have, both have. What、well, do they have eggs in it? Yeah. Both? No. No, just no. one.、Yeah. Uh, no, it's either.、Yeah. But what? But it's food related. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, yeah, because、yeah, tempura is made with egg whites, I think. Yes, it is.、Um, it dries very quickly. <laughs> so what's what's hard about, yeah, watercolor is that. You want to keep it loose and expressive, but you have to be able to control it. It's it's、Those、like these competing all over the.、Place. I know it's like these competing things. Like, can you even do that? But that's what people liked about 
is his watercolors balance. is the balance that he brought. I feel bad for him though that uh, after that first show he did get some some criticism. I'm which is that's tip, what happens. That's what happens, and that's good. And that I think as I we're tell the still story, waiting for it to happen on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> criticize us no don't <laughs> be nice we're fragile yeah be nice to us <laughs> no after his first show the critic um howard devries um from the new york times wrote evidence of a very real talent though the shadow of homer falls athwart m- many of them that's winslow homer on the negative side it must also be noted that many of the large papers might have been more effective in the smaller version on the positive side, be it reported that young Wythe's color sense is excellent, that he gets light and atmosphere in his pictures, and that all the work has a real emotional impact. That seems like pretty positive review, actually. It does. He didn't take it well, though. Oh, <laughs> really? An artist who put his, his, himself out there did not take any the slightest criticism well. So that's... So he basically made it his life's mission never to show his sources again. Okay. Because it is very true that he was influenced influenced by by you know Homer and great and that's and I, like he's twenty years old. Right. Like was well, that quote from T- Elliot that you you uh, yeah. mature um, mature artists or mature poets would steal, mm-hmm. right? So at 20 years old, he's already a mature artist. He's steal- stealing. He's stealing, but then he's like, okay, now I have to be a good artist, a good right. poet. I have to make it into something better or at least something different. Mm-hmm. So he he started to learn how to hide his sources better. Okay. So, But I, I feel bad for him that he took it so hard. But, you know, I, I think it made him better. Okay. Definitely. Well, yeah. I mean, criticism will do that to you. Yeah. It will make you stop painting. Yeah. And I think for him, too, he has so many um, influences that that also helps. The more influences you have, the easier it is to hide it. Yes. You know, the art of not plagiarizing is just hiding your source as well. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. He had influences like Van Eyck and Vermeer, which I see in. Um, do you remember the one where he has a little boy on the hill? Again, that mm-hmm. hill that keeps showing up. Um, with the with the cap and everything, I really yeah. think of those painters well, with that of, detail. Oh, when I think of Vermeer, I really think of the layering, like the fine mm. layering of paint. Yes, and, like the, and that's the, what the, he really the, does with the tempera the portraits, right? Yes, like every line, like the faces have such depth. Yes, yeah. And it's not like just like kind of a, a surface, like almost like a, a makeup kind of face, but like mm. just you can you can see the life beneath the skin. Yeah. And then the, or the death beneath the skin, depending, <laughs> depending yes. how you're painting it, right? True, 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 true. Um, and then Van Gogh, which I, I, you can really see in how he does grass. And bushes. And, and bushes. Yeah, and, the foliage yeah. has that texture that Van Gogh, which is, again, funny because Van Gogh achieved that by thick, thick oil paint, like just mm-hmm. smearing it on, using the back of his brush to create that texture. Whereas wildly has this very smooth and very thin medium but he accomplishes a very similar texture yeah no but it's interesting because if you have the chance to look at the lost Arles sketches of Mm -hmm. van gogh you can see like the the influence or the the similarities between van gogh in watercolor and 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 wyeth 
So I, I think that's really cool. Yeah, when you when you look at the the, the sketches, the sketches yeah. from Van Gogh, you can really yeah. see it. Yeah. One that I think is really cool is Bruegel the Elder. Mm -hmm. And there's one piece, Snow Hill by Wyeth, that I think really like right away made me think of a Bruegel. Just the people dancing around the maypole, but it's it's kind of yeah it's, yeah, it's done in a new way. Then some some newer people, Aikens, another Philadelphia artist. Yeah, love Aikens. Aikens, um, I find he always does a lot with a lot of darker. Mm -hmm. So he uses a lot of of black and a lot of dark browns. Mm -hmm. And Wyeth doesn't really go there in terms of color. But what I think you're saying is the sum of the similarities is the, is the use of light. Yes, yep. Even though, like, so when I think of Aikens, I think of uh, almost a Rembrandt-like, everything's dark except for the one focal point, like they've shined a spotlight on one part. Yeah, yeah, and that's... And it's just gleaming white. Yes, yep. But so, guess, again, like, Aikens brings that classic... Dramatic. dramatic feel but it's a modern american mm -hmm. so he does that that blending really well um hopper which is a, a very american like that quintessential american look we i mentioned homer what, what would you say is like quintessential american look because wyeth obviously is is part of that conversation like he's one of the most american painters we have in terms of subject matter but like how how is how is how is he American? Is it just subject matter? Like I don't know. If I somebody, think, I if think somebody were to ask me that question, I don't know exactly what I'd say. I don't know exactly what I would say either. But it is a sensibility. I think it is the history, but also that he was very much in a place. Yeah, I don't know what. Well, there's what a sense of a... place, but also sometimes it doesn't have an old world feel to it at all. Really, right? Well, I think of like one of his subject matters like Kerner's farm and that's an immigrant from Germany. Mm -hmm. Mr. Kerner was a World War One veteran. He fought for the Germans. Um, and it's just odd because like there's that sense of history there but it's not like a blood and soil. It's almost like a new beginnings kind of thing. So like there's a history yeah. there's a history that goes way back but it's also that this is also a place where there can be new beginnings. Yeah, so interesting. like where this soldier yeah. this soldier can kind of find this this place to find cuz like all the Kerner's farm scenes that are kind of peaceful. Yeah. And I I I mean maybe I'm just changing subjects and you can say this has nothing to do with your point. But there's a lot of life coming out of death. Yeah. In Wyeth's work and no, carl that, that, kerner is basically the the symbol of that for him that no that's precisely what okay, i was perfect. trying to say okay yeah. perfect okay so because when you see his his figures of of carl who is that war veteran he there's this very masked and just under the surface there's this deep violence there's mm -hmm. this there's this violence there's this death he's a he's a man associated with death and the smell of death clings to him. I feel like I'm quoting a movie or something. Like, I don't know what movie I'm thinking of. I feel like I'm, I'm trying to think of a spaghetti western. <laughs> where, like, the dialogue is like that. Um, so, oh, I don't know. I can't think of it now. But death rides a horse. That's probably what I'm thinking of. 
But what I think is interesting is now this just makes me think of uh, Tolkien, and he's also from World War One, and all of these people have really strong connection, like um, really face to face with a lot, a lot of very horrible death, that almost more horrible than World War Two, because World War One, there's a reason they call it the Great War, because there's just there was a lot of stupid, like it was all stupid death, right? In the fact that it it was it was random, the artillery the artillery shell would come down on you and you'd die, or your friend would die who was just right next to you, and or you just send wave over wave over the top just to get shot down by machine guns. So it was really horrible. But then out of that, you know, you get people like Tolkien. They write their he writes um, the Lord of the Rings, and he he has the same themes of life out of death that Wyatt has. But Wyatt didn't wasn't at World War Two. World War One, sorry. He he was born in nineteen seventeen, so he would have been only two years old mm-hmm. by the end of that. But he still grew up with that. He he knew the Kerners who who did survive that. So there's very Yeah, much and I, I wonder if too like Wyatt always felt like an outsider. Again, I think because of he he didn't really have a lot of friends. He was very secluded, and that. Oh well, that goes to what we were talking about back in um, culture care part three. I think it was when we talked mm-hmm. about the border stalkers, like mm-hmm. the, the quintessential Andy Wyeth uh, is somebody who was on the edges of yeah. society. In fact, he said he just wished he could be a fly so nobody would notice that he's just there. Yeah, he hated that. Yeah. He also hated people um, watching him paint. Yeah. A lot of the portraits that he does, people are not making direct contact with him because he eye felt nervous. Yeah. Eye contact because he felt nervous and like he would have to say something. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't want people to look at, at him um painting yeah and but he didn't want his subjects to look at him because obviously they couldn't see what he was doing but like no don't look at me yeah (laughs) so um which i i is valid you know you have to make chit chat yeah i i i I watched a couple interviews with him and he's just like i just wish i was a fly on the wall that nobody would actually see me there interesting i think like he has that like he does have that where he oftentimes has these viewpoints where the the angle is such where um his vantage point is unseen by other people right oh yeah should we should we trans transition to his perspective yeah yeah maybe yeah move it along yeah why not and this is where you kind of get to the more surrealism aspect of him mm-hmm. uh, one one person's writing um because i have a catalog from the show that we went to in in philadelphia and they have right. write-ups and one of them was titled surrealism realism right as uh, explaining Wyeth. but you don't really need to worry about those terms if you don't want to right what is what i love about Wyeth is that he picks really interesting and different perspectives and like you said sometimes you can't even figure out where he is there's this wonderful painting of his where you see this roof of of a farmhouse and then it's very angular triangles very sharp and then there's this big sweeping curve of a, of a hill and i think there's there's water down below so it's like that angles with the natural but then I can't figure out where he is because he's not sitting on top of the roof painting it. 
He's above it, but there's no sign of a tree. So it's like he's floating in midair to get this angle. Mm-hmm. And that kind of like takes you out. It's like, oh, okay. At first you think, oh, it's just the roof. But when you start thinking like, where is he actually? Right. He's like suspended there. Like you said, like a fly or maybe he's a bird looking. And this is how a bird would fly over this house and what, what it would see. Yes. Yeah. But, but like taking you to a place where really he couldn't himself even have gotten to. Right. Right. That that vantage point doesn't even exist. Yeah. But the way he could paint it is because of all these studies. If you look at his studies, he, he captures things from almost every angle so he gets to know it in his mind so well yeah that of course he can position himself wherever he wants to yeah be. he's such a master at foreshortening um i think of that that one that you you actually have that the hunter mm-hmm. where it's he's kind of like he's a squirrel in the in sycamore, sycamore and he's he's looking down at a hunter and the, the all the tree branches are like shooting towards you and around you and it's like breaking forth out of this plane. Mm-hmm. Another interesting thing about that one is that it's square. Yeah. And a lot of his are rectangles, right? Yeah. That seems pretty standard, but a rectangle is like a window. And he has a lot of windows in his paintings and, and windows represent looking into memory or like dreams it's like you're looking through something Mm -hmm. and Wyeth plays a lot with us the viewer his painting is a window but there's a window in his painting but when he uses a square it's often with natural subjects so what you have is you have a square which is geometrically perfect right it's it's rigid it's as stiff it's and so you have nature pushing against that. So you have that contrast, that tension yeah. right away. So I, it's not, not something I had put into words, but then I was reading about it. I'm like, oh, that was there. That was, yeah. it's one of those subtle things, but you have to remember that, like you said, everything is abstract when you're painting, right? Yeah. You're taking something that's 3D and you're making it 2D and then you're putting it together in a different way. But you're also, also like, putting it on a board. Mm-hmm. And, like, the shape of the board matters. matters. Well, also with a square, your eye is immediately drawn to the center of the square. Yes. You, you draw from each corner. Yes. And Good point. It, like, it's almost, like, hard to look at the edges of a square. Whereas when you have a rectangle, right, you have much more of a horizon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your eye can glance around side to side so much more. Yeah. Which in the in the painting that we're talking about, the hunter, there isn't really much of a horizon. There, there's no horizon. He's looking yeah. down at the He's ground. looking down at the ground. I mean, there's, yeah, the, yeah you can yeah. kind of see like a field you a line. Feel, you have a feeling for a horizon. Yeah. But that's not, that's yeah. not what the painting's about. No. So I, I always thought that was, that was pretty cool. And there's, there's others like, oh, the, like the worm's view as well. Mm-hmm. Um, or looking down at the boots, um, but like the worm's eye view, he has the dead raven right in the field, and you're looking like your little worm that's yeah. about to like get, eaten get no start or... start. Well, you're like part of the decomposition. Oh right. Process yeah, yeah. like you know, there's a dead bird. What you know eats death, and like you're like a bug that's going to be part of the decomposition of this bird. So there's there's always interesting. Angles and perspectives, and I, I think that's that's what makes him worth looking at, is that oh, he yeah. will bring a different perspective. And that's the idea of all artists. Like, that's what they're supposed to be bringing, is they make you ponder and sit 
and look at things in a different way. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things you got to think about with painting too. Is it's, it's not even like with snapping a photo, you're going to capture that fence line because it's there. When you paint, you have a choice whether the fence line is going to be there or not. And that conscious choice is really what makes painting interesting because you can you can tell a story you can tell people what's interesting or not what's interesting what's important you can you can yeah because you're you're trying to to tell that truth you're trying to to reach into the soul of man i thought it would be fun to just kind of free associate and think of either authors or other um artists who are not painters who you kind of think vibe with wyeth oh interesting because yeah i think there's sometimes like interesting correlations um Cezanne. For, th- that's a painter you just, i don't care you just broke the rule no i, I no rules <laughs> that's not fair you can't do that <laughs> you can't break my well, rule you, you were first gonna make a game where i had to guess all the um i know do you want to guess do you want to guess anymore artistic inter uh influences yeah Cezanne. Whatever. <laughs> if you're just going to be a broken record. Cezanne, Cezanne, Cezanne. <laughs> I mean, a couple influences we didn't talk about was Durr, which is hard to say. Albrecht, Durr. Durr. Um, so, and, and Bosch. Have you seen that? The, Bo- the Bosch, the, the, the Garden of, of Earthly Des- Delights or whatever? I don't think so. Oh, it's so cool. Okay. It's really weird. <laughs> but, like, he was... You have one written down here that really surprised me, actually, is Dolly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would he have been... He would have been contemporary. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, I... And Dolly's weird. Yeah. But he's not always weird. I think we think of, like, the melting clock. Yeah. As soon as we we think of Dolly. Yeah. Uh, but he did other stuff. Yeah. So, I actually am not... I don't really know that much about Dolly, to be honest. But... I do know that this the part that Dolly helped um, did was the the creative director of in Spellbound the Alfred Hitchcock movie is that Spellbound? I think it's Spellbound. Yeah, oh no no we're gonna have to Google it. Hang on people. Spellbound. Oh I was right it's Spellbound. Uh, so that part is so good. So that that's what I know is 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 a dream like subconscious. Uh, scene. So I, I have to make you watch that. It's really good. Okay. Yeah. So, anyways, now we're we're talking about people who like. If you wanted to read Wyeth, but obviously he's not a writer. But mm-hmm. like, what would you pick? It's it's hard to say because I I feel like you could say both Faulkner and Hemingway. Oh, absolutely. I I think there's so uh, we should do we should do a podcast just about I, where I think the similarities of Faulkner and Hemingway. Because when I think, I think of them so much together. Isn't that interesting? Because a lot of people are like, well, Faulkner, he has the long sentences and lots, lots of rich description. Whereas Hemingway has nothing. It was a good fish. It was a noble fish. Right? I, yeah. yeah but, it's just different styles of accomplishing the same thing, though. Like, they just have this. I know. I think Hemingway has the shortest sentence and Faulkner has the longest sentence. Yeah. But there's something. And again, I think it's that age of America as well. Mm-hmm. Uh but there, there, there is that. Um, so Faulkner, I definitely think of. And again, it's that sense of place. It's that, that history. I, I think of like when you're talking about sense of place, I think is you walk alongside the ghosts. Mm-hmm. 
that you you're walking with and you f- you can talk to and you feel connected to all the people that came before you. You know what? I just had this. I think Melville. Oh yeah. I w- I wish uh, Wyeth had actually illustrated um, Mo- oh, Moby Dick. That would have been incredible. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Right. Yeah. You got the same kind of New England feel. Yes. Like the the palette would have worked. Perfectly. Oh, that would have been killer. Yeah, because like you see both his main stuff, like with yeah. all the sea, and like yes. he does all these studies about um, beaches and his oh, yeah. oyster shells, and then like you combine. Oh man, yeah, that would have been so good. Right? Why didn't wow. that happen? I don't know. I'm sad now. And I, I, uh, um, I he's he's English, but like T. S. Eliot. He's, he's American, and then he yeah. fell his work in, in yeah. England. Yeah. So he he's a real border stalker. Yes, he's everywhere. Isn't isn't that also like isn't there a painter Whistler? Like that, where he's American and then he but he like moved to England and I think like so. all his his career took off in England. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what happened. So uh, Flannery O'Connor, I mentioned that already. I think her short yes. stories are very much, and yeah, there's there's this term like Southern Gothic. Yeah, I don't love that term because. They, it's not. They're like, oh, it's the grotesque, and like, it's not, not grotesque. To it's not like a mad slasher movie. It's not grotesque to be like, ew, but it uses dark themes. Dark themes, and but like when she has a character in her 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 books where it's like physically deformed, it shows the deformities of her heart. So she's she's using a heightened idea to show right. what's internal like yeah so she's putting on the outside what's on the on the inside yeah exactly so i'm like is that grotesque or is it really cutting through the the bull crap to to tell us what's going on here and how how o'connor uses inanimate objects as again clues and as people and that's something that wyeth does a lot like he will paint a bucket mm-hmm. like it's a person that's true. And you're like, why Why is there just a bucket on this table here? And it's like, no, it's, it's more than a bucket. Well, like Groundhog's Day, or Groundhog Day, I think it's called. It's just a plate. Right. But it's all, it's, it, but he would consider it a self-portrait or a, not self-portrait, a portrait of, I think it's Carl again, of the or Kerners Mrs. or Mrs. Kerner, one of the Kerners. No, I think it's about Kerner coming, like Carl coming back in for his lunch. And it's okay, like holding yeah. it's like holding his place. Yes. I, I, now I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. Ray Bradbury, another one. Robert Frost. Yeah, Robert Frost. You could almost throw in just because of the the, the New England or Eastern Seaboard feel. Mm-hmm. Right? Like topography that he yeah. expresses. Yeah. 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 And Auden, again, same kind of time time frame. Yeah. yeah. Good game. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. I think I won. You wrote the game. <laughs> That's why I won. <laughs> okay, yeah, you won. <laughs> okay, and a lot of a lot of those those authors and um, you know the the painters that we've been talking about too, kind of fall into what I would call magic realism. Now, this is a thing. I don't know if you if you know this. This is already a thing, and it comes from South America. So there is this whole term in works of art called magic realism, which isn't really what you mean by magic what realism. i mean by it and i've also like in the book i was reading they used it and it wasn't really used in the way that it's technically used so it's kind of a confusing term but just just use it as 
being as helpful as a descriptive. As a descriptive, it's not a class, but it's just it's it's just defining the realism that Andrew Wyeth brings to the yes. canvas. Yes, and right? like it's it's magical in the sense that it's not necessarily is realistically brought forth. Like a face looks like a face, but where it is put and how like how it is lit well, can be magical. Like it can be. Or fantastical, or, or just like we talked about, where the vantage point is impossible. Yes, so it's dreamlike. It has something that's a little bit magical. So there, there's that is a lot of reality is bringing forth reality, but there's that magical aspect to it. Uh, some of them, like like a lot of his portraits and some of his other work, um, you can't find a light source. And this is something that he can really do with the tempera. Is that it almost like glows and looks like it's light lit from within. Mm, yeah. So there's there's this portrait of his wife, and there's no no light source. It just looks like she's illuminated. So that's that's again a magic. So it's it's very much like looks like Betsy. Right. But there's no light source. Mm-hmm. He shifts scale, so how big or small something is. So something will appear larger than it, it would have been or smaller. So he kind of plays around with that. And the amount of focus, like everything will be sharp and in focus. Um, I don't know. Well, like, I isn't think, that more typical with painting, though? Like, obviously it's it's something you can control more. But like oftentimes you'll have something in the foreground that's very sharp and then you kind of like get blotchier and fuzzier in the background. Yeah, that's true. And I think now like with our fancy phones, cameras that they've started adding like portrait mode mm-hmm. that's very much about how people want to have the sharp foreground and then everything blurred i think it's called bokeh or bodega or bodibadabadabu uh something you're the camera person i i, I, I mean I, I don't know what it's called i just you know it's nice because it's actually easier because it kind of cleans up your background because it's all fuzzy don't have to worry about it as much you don't have to worry about all the trash in the background exactly he's just like oh what's that fuzzy black thing it's like oh it's not trash don't worry about it uh, <laughs> uh but so to have everything in sharp focus like everything in even focus like um christina's world yeah the house is in as much focus as she is that's true so that's another of that that magical aspect I think it's interesting though that even when he has everything in sharp relief, you always know where he like he he never leaves you wondering what you're supposed to look at. Right? Yes. Just he always is directing your eye. He is always leading it's it's, it's almost fun to like go, "Oh, I looked at this and then that my eye was drawn to this and then it went here and he knows exactly where you're going to look when. Yes, and he brings you in those circles that mm-hmm. he's like you kind of go on a trip in each composition, which mm-hmm. is what what you try to do like in the art That's lessons that I, I've been doing is like you try to do this, you try to have your your eye move in a circle. Yeah, or a triangle, or which a tri- is the same thing. Yeah, you just like move to different points and that's a lot of the meaning of his his paintings are uh, are circular or you know have those points where you, like you start one place and then you go around and you're like oh it's sadness and yeah. there's no hope but wait now I moved over here and I can see there's hope and there's new life and you just kind of like keep going so this it's that deep emotion mm-hmm. and I think of the Psalms right 
when you read a psalm, it can start happy and then end tragic, but then have hope at the end, or it can be vice versa. It just, you go on a whole journey. Yeah, and then a lot of times it brings you around. So in the in the case of a painting, it brings you back to where you started. So now you're actually seeing something different again because you've experienced the journey around the painting. Yeah, so you're seeing it new. Yes. Oh, fascinating. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, like I said, like he, he actually, Wyeth didn't like, um, like it when his work was praised for his realism. He was the most gratified when a painting seemed to suspend time and place, triggering in the viewer's mind memories, fantasies, and sensations that inspired him to paint it. So, yeah, he wants you to be still in time. Like he wants you to think back to a certain time, but also like live in that one moment. He does that so well. He does. Well, hopefully we have inspired you to look closer at Andrew Wyeth or just revisit some some favorites that you have. I think really you can't get tired of looking at Wyeth stuff. No, that's, yeah. If you think Wyeth is boring, I think you're a boring person more than Wyeth is boring. Yeah, he really shows you who you are when, when you look at it. That's true. Yeah. And I think even though there's a lot of upturned noses at some of his stuff, like we've touched on, like his work is not plain old photographic painting. There's there's so much in it, maybe probably more than what he even first intended. Oh, sure. I I mean, we've I, I don't know how we talked about this, but how I I truly think that when an artist practices and applies himself and shows up to his task every day and does the best work he can do that that God will bless it and that God will put something more in it that he that yeah that that God will use you to make something better than yourself yeah I have nothing to add to that we can stop right there we can stop right there well we hope we, we you have enjoyed this we enjoy talking about this because we love making things and because of that, we love made things. That the more that we look at other people's works and, you know, again, getting back to the, the T.S. Eliot quote, that we, yeah, the more we, we immerse ourselves and hide our sources, the better that, the yeah. better we will be. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully you have enjoyed this. Thank you so much. We hope you have enjoyed the Ducks Never Waver lunch break. If you would like to fill your senses with more Ducks Never Waver goodness, you can feast your eyeballs on Instagram and Facebook. Touch some of our beautiful pieces that we will ship right to your door by ordering them through Etsy. Or you can continue hearing us on this magnificent culmination of auditory recordation. Donation buckets are in the description for you to invest in the betterment of this podcast. We will work diligently to read and present interesting topics. Your hard-earned money will be joyously and gratefully spent to improve your lunch break. Want to keep your hard-earned money? And who doesn't? You can still support us and yourself by rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing this year's podcast with all the other ducks in your life. Stay quacky, my friends.